boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking Friday the 13th, part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake. That's right, we we went right back to Camp Crystal Lake, or at least the, the shores near the lake. You know, the lake that connects to the ocean, the ocean that connects to the Isle of Manhattan. Typical things, lakes meeting oceans. Hey, welcome to the Kill by Kill podcast. What do we do here? Simple enough. We are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We will be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh my God, there's so many words in this title. In the hopes that a Lakeview High graduate's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, there's only one person I trust to help me swab the deck. It's the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Hi, Patrick. I'm so excited. We're finally getting to Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> it happens. This is my, it really happened. This is my fourth favorite in, in, in the series. <laughs> really? It, it is. I, I have I have very fond memories of one of the first times I got really drunk at a party mm-hmm. and sat down with people and kind of did a, a sort of Mystery Science Theater 3000 take on it before any of us really knew what that was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's don't get me wrong. This is a this is a goddamn stupid movie. Oh, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's not not even the stupidest movie of the series. It's one of the stupidest movies ever made. It, 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 it has. <laughs> It has the dumbest kills, uh-huh. the dumbest characters, yes, the dumbest ending. Oh and, yes, and it is certainly I would say out of all of them, and I'm even counting part five in this, probably the most blatantly contemptuous of the audience, <laughs> which is that's really impressive when you can give less of a shit about the audience's intelligence than than the makers of part five. You've, you've really, by God, you've, you've really got something. <laughs> I, I, here's the, well, I think we'll come to this over time. I, it is a grand debate whether or not this is the worst movie in the canon or it's part five. To the amount that I've seen so far, most of the people talk to other characters and we don't see them shitting very often. And so it's got that going for it over part five. And then as far as like where part five's advantages are, is that it has more uh, bumpkins who keep herbs up on their kitchen wall. You realize that the baseline you've set for how good or bad this movie is has to do with how often someone is shown moving their bowels on screen. Well, it's part of the Friday the 13th canon. I didn't make the films, Gina. I just talk about them for hours and hours and hours. Speaking of which, hey, good news, Gina. We are not alone. No, we have a special guest this week. Of course, you may know him as the producer of one of our favorite podcasts in the entire world. My neighbors are dead. The one and only... Nate DeFort. How are you doing, Nate? I am doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Patrick and Gina, you know that you're one of our favorite podcasts as well. So I'm super stoked to be here, and it hurts my feelings that we're talking about this movie, but I'm stoked to do it. <laughs> well, you know, it's bittersweet. There there are things about this movie that just feel, uh, that feel very timely for me or, or in a perfect place, like Gina said. I saw this movie, uh, this is probably the first one I saw in a movie theater. This is the first one I remember a lot about the marketing of it. And this is, of course, the last of the Paramount series. Mm -hmm. Everything going forward will be from another studio or or the remake, it it comes back to Paramount. But this is the last of the, you know, big stretch of Friday the 13th movies and... It doesn't really end on a great note, <laughs> or begin on one for that. Or, or at any point, reach a good note. Ever <laughs> at any point, does this movie reach anything that that resembles a good note? Well, a couple sweet guitar solos, maybe <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I mean, some really amazing hair is on display, so it's got that going there's for a it. Do- there's a dog that that, so that, that, that goes on the trip for some reason. There's a lot of dog action in this 
that I did not remember, primarily because it's never on a leash. It just follows along behind our main character, whom we're not going to talk about in this section of the movie. No, we're, we're only discussing what happens up front. Uh, before we get to that, however, uh, there's a tradition here at Kill by Kill. Nate, what was your, what was your first encounter with the Friday the 13th series? Well, I'm very much a child of the late 80s and early 90s, and also the child, happily the child of divorced parents that I could guilt into getting anything off the VHS, uh, you know, counter I wanted. So I would just wander, wander the halls of horror at the local Blockbuster and, uh, uh, you know, other video stores independently and uh, just grab any movies I wanted. It didn't matter that I was eight, nine years old at the time. I could just grab something, hand it to my mom and out of, you know, that wonderful guilt, get her to get it for me. So the <laughs> summer of 1987, I watched anything and everything I could get my hands on, including the first five, possibly six uh, Friday the 13th movies. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Was this was this like your first deep dive into horror or had you been exposed to it before uh, getting to Friday the 13th? I had been exposed before, um, you know, leading up to the summer of 87. Uh, I have an uncle that's uh, really young compared to me. He's, you know, maybe six, seven years older than me. And uh, he had stuff on in the background. And at the time, you know, I think he was mainly watching horror because over almost any other genre, there's probably more breasts on screen. But, uh, you know, it definitely clued me in early to, oh, there's something really going on here and I'm probably not supposed to watch it. So this is all I want to do. And that included, you know, every terrible anthology series that I came to love so much and then just so many of these movies. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so let's get right into it, into uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. Now, over the course of the several episodes that we'll be discussing this movie, we will get into this film's troubled production history. It opens on one of the worst interpretations of the kill, 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 ma, ma, ma I've ever heard in my life. It's gone through several digital machines a million times in order for it to sound edgy and new for the late 80s uh, and fail spectacularly. Uh, as if to signal this this ain't your daddy's Friday the 13th. And by that, it means uh, your daddy's Friday the 13th was infinitely better and this one sucks. <laughs> uh, we are then treated to some library footage of New York City. Get used to it, because this is the most New York City you're going to see in this movie. I think there's a shot that they managed to get inside of Times Square, or the Deuce, as HBO would have me call it. But everything else is Toronto to the and, max. And you can, so you're you seeing... can definitely tell that because the subways in New York City have never had red interiors. Like, as, so as soon as <laughs> exactly. I saw that shot, I was like, yep, nope, that's not New York City. I have no idea where that is. That ain't New York City. <laughs> no, it really is not. And there's there uh, the floors are very clean. Yeah. And I don't remember that about New is, York City, having clean floors. Which is odd, floors. because the rest of New York City has, like, flaming barrels and, and literal vats of toxic waste just sort of just sitting around just for people, you know, to... to just kind of casually walk by you know, the the odd rat swimming around. You know, I mean, this is this is in New York City. L luckily, it's, it's it's not a big deal because this New York City only has maybe forty people walking around in it. <laughs> <laughs> we and we will see them all again. Uh, yeah, every location, a... every person. It's amazing <laughs> that subway car. Just the fluorescent, almost puffy paint. <laughs> That's, you know, scribbled on those walls. It's just like, oh, that was done this morning. Yeah. <laughs> it really looks almost like the sh the bathroom of in The Shining. It's yeah. that gleaming. Yeah. And you're like, that, that does not seem like a late 80s subway car to me. Let's give our audience at home who may not uh, be aware of this a quick list of the things included in this opening montage, which includes the... Uh, poster font for Friday the 13th part 8 Jason takes Manhattan but then the rest of the credits are all delivered in an art deco font 
which might be better suited in 1920s Hollywood sort of affair. It's an odd choice. I, I really like the um, the Charles Bukowski-esque poetry at the, the reading at the beginning. <laughs> oh, oh we, we will get to that. Let, let, let's go through this list of visuals first, then we'll get to the audio component. All right, first up is a shitbox of a telephone booth with the words gangs rule <laughs> spray painted on it. Because if you're in a gang, that's exactly what you're going to write. Yeah, we uh, we rule. We rule. Yeah. Well, you have to tell people. It's called marketing. <laughs> if you don't tell people what you are, they get to create your narrative. You have to, you know, say, hey, gangs rule. I'm in a gang. <laughs> that's just marketing 101. Uh, then we get a breached manhole cover with steam coming of out of it because... Someone saw a taxi driver and said, that's got to be New York. I'm Canadian. What do I know? And then we have an alleyway where a businessman is walking with his umbrella raised. I assume to prevent urine from uh, raining down on his suit. And then he gets mugged by two very clean cut looking muggers. It's like they are union members of the muggers 502. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an Gang's interesting. Rule. It's, it's very interesting that the the this is a New York City that, despite it looking like a hellhole, is still very very Caucasian, which is yes. puzzling. It is. Uh, it's almost as if most of this movie took place in a city that had yet to really. Um, diversify in a significant way at least in the entertainment industry so yeah it's lily white <laughs> i think my favorite minor God. character is the lady with the eye patch in the diner who who just she is my she, favorite she just looks like oh. you know david lynch just sent her over one day as a, as a gift to the filmmakers here take this old lady with that eye patch and that and this, shot in the diner it feels like it's a minute and a half long you can study every single character in there there's the asian man that's on obviously like he is on the side of a conversation yet he's waiting for his turn to talk for that full minute there is a man coughing like only a background actor can yes it's almost like it's a waiting room for trauma background play <laughs> where everyone is given a specific role including the aforementioned eye patch lady who keeps pointing at her coffee cup and the waitress keeps pouring coffee into it. And she's like, no, keep pouring coffee. <laughs> That's what the director told me to do. You pour coffee in here, but you have to drink some coffee. Pour coffee in here. It's momentous. And if you love it, great. You're about to see it again in roughly 70 minutes from now. <laughs> and let's see, what else do we have? Oh yeah, that same mugger. Uh, he dumps his pilfered wa the pilfered wallet that he got into a barrel of uh, pre-Ninja Turtle ooze, uh, which manages to disturb a wet rat. Uh, we get the diner. We have the 8th Street slash Broadway subway exit, which seems suspicious in terms of the location of its graffiti. All of it is within reach. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think a lot of graffiti artists like to put their graffiti outside of the reach of someone who could paint over it. Not so much here. It's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> so if they, so if they've been given a row, uh, a, if you're going to do graffiti, you'll do it right here on this row. And that's where they go. Yeah. That's super tentative. That's a gang's rule. <laughs> question mark. Well, gangs can be artistic, too, I think. <laughs> it might be uh, the example we're using there. Uh, then we have a very empty subway train, which is obviously not American in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and then a second alleyway where two extremely well-kept junkies are shooting up, uh, including the one guy who jabs the needle into his arm uh, like he's masturbating, just like oh, oh, oh. I just like your vein is right there. You don't. It doesn't require it's like this that enormous, much force. Like Halloween costume prop needle too. It's like you can see it like in silhouette. Yeah, it's it's half the size of his arm. It's huge. <laughs> it's like it's like the 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 syringe that they use to jam into Mia's heart in uh, in uh, Pulp Fiction, yeah. full of adrenaline. It's gigantic. Yep. It's like what you would use to inject uh, juices back into a turkey at Thanksgiving. Exactly. It belongs to a clown doctor. <laughs> yeah, you, you, push the, you push the plunger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little, just a long paper tongue comes out the other side. <laughs> Uh, he's, his companion in this is cooking heroin using 
a candle. <laughs> Which I don't think is something that a lot of junkies have access to long like, he's got like table a candles. He's got a flaming barrel nearby. I'm not quite sure why he just doesn't do it there. <laughs> so, how did he light the candle? Is the thing I, like could he not just have used that? No, he's got to run to Bed Bath and Beyond real quick. <laughs> Grab a what scented do you have candle. For a, what do you have for a formal setting? I gotta cook some H. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, we have the Statue of Liberty, who's seen way too much fucking shit. <laughs> he's, he's so fucking over this. Um, and we pretty much say goodbye to New York. Okay, so that's the visuals. <laughs> now let's rewind and let's talk about what we're hearing. Because we are treated to... I. This is very odd. It's someone at Paramount was like, hey, you know what's hip? You know what kids love? Eric Bogosian monologues. We're going to get a guy. We're going to get a DJ. And he's going to just yap and yap and yap and yap on a, on a radio station. And I don't think real radio stations allow you to talk in some sort in the world's worst, you know, poetry jam about your city. And I'm not entirely sure that he understands the Manhattan that he no, lives he, in. He, he very much romanticizes the city with... with flaming trash barrels and and vats of toxic waste just just sitting around but but the one thing that uh-huh. that honestly had me pause and yell at my laptop was he says something like beware the city of lights casts a shadow nobody calls it the city of lights that's fucking paris how do you how do you screw something up that badly <laughs> Well, the City of Lights in Paris casts a shadow over New York, and that's what you have to look out for. Mainly, New Yorkers have to look out for your phantoms the, of the operas. The, the, or, or your, or your oh, subway breakdancers. That, that's, that's, you know, that's way more bad. <laughs> yes. But this is, like, this is like the third dumbest thing that this character, who thankfully remains off screen, uh, has to say. I mean, first there's the, the poem he reads at the beginning, which, like I said, some Charles Bukowski shit. And then he he's like, I'd like to dedicate yeah. this to the cla- the Lakeview High senior class who's coming up on a trip to New York City. Who could fucking care if a high school class is coming to New- coming to your town? <laughs> yeah, this DJ, it's WGAZ, W Gaz Radio, the electricity <laughs> of Manhattan. The electricity of Manhattan. Where did someone come up and, with and, this and he's branding? Just delighted. Yeah, this is and- the most notable thing that's happened. To the biggest city in America is that a high school class from New Jersey is coming for their senior class trip there. Listen, things have been looking down in Manhattan. And what they need is an infusion of high school uh, senior trip cash. And that only comes when the, lake, the class of Lakeview High motors up in a boat from all, their all, lake. All 16 or so, that um, graduating class. <laughs> oh, man. Manhattan's gonna be rolling in it once they start spending that coin. Let's let's take a an auditory trip through what this dipshit says in the opening minutes over over the credits. It's like this. No, it isn't. It's not like this. We live in claustrophobia, a land of steel and concrete, trapped by dark waters. Trapped by dark waters, motherfucker! You got famous bridges and tunnels. Leading to where the high school class is. <laughs> Trapped by dark waters? <laughs> Are you talking about the cartoon show? <laughs> what? Oh my god. I literally yelled at my television. I couldn't <laughs> believe it would happen to me. But no, they, they left this in the movie. There is no escape, nor do we want it. Oh, well, this seems like you need to make a decision. We've yeah. come to thrive on it and each other. You can't get the adrenaline puppy pumping without the terror, good people. <laughs> what kind is, he, of... like, is, is he talking about like vampires or something? Because I, sort of feel <laughs> I like think he might be. He, he's kind of hinting that you know that the, everybody in New York City is just, is just a vampire. There's we're thriving off of each other. <laughs> we got we have to have that terror, baby. You, and you maybe, don't. Maybe that's why he wants the high schoolers there so much <laughs> to get us adrenaline pumping. This guy's a perv. <laughs> and he finishes off by saying, "I love this town," which does not seem to fit anything else that he said before that. God, and you, and you know, whoever if it was the screenwriter or someone else that came up, to this, he's just like, "Yeah, 
That might yeah, be the best it. thing I have ever written. Save. <laughs> <laughs> Pats himself on the back and just says the word jazz. <laughs> I don't know what radio station this gentleman works for, but I can tell you that the music they're supposedly playing is some sort of Richard Marx knockoff. By it's the band Metropolis. Ooh. It kind of, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, of the song that uh, Glenn Fry did for Miami Vice. Like, <laughs> you belong to the city, I think it was called. <laughs> you know, very, yes. very sax heavy and, and you know, mm-hmm. very synth rock. And it just kind of really had that, that feeling for me. It's like they were paid by the amount of times they could say night. And did you catch the name of the song? No, I didn't. The darkest side of the night. There's definitely what? like what? Some, someone really thought they were trying to have a they were trying to get a theme going to this, and and I don't know uh, yeah. what that theme was. Like I said, I feel like it's some sort of weird vampire thing, and but that's not really that doesn't really go with a Friday the Thirteenth movie too well. Everything in this movie is so brightly lit; mm-hmm. it's crazy, including New York City, which <laughs> just and. New York City these days is very bright if you go into Manhattan. There are a lot of electronic signs on at all hours, and it's practically daytime. But in this movie, it's like everyone has a bat signal on at all times. Yeah, even even the alleys are lit like a football stadium. I don't know what the electricity costs are, but it's it's they're out of... Uh, I don't think Con Ed is uh, prepared for that much wattage. Well, well remember though, Patrick... The city of lights mm-hmm. casts a shadow. <laughs> it does. It, it casts some harsh shadow, which is broken up by all the other light. <laughs> this movie was directed, and I put that in dick fingers. D- 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 uh, or as uh, We Hate Movies does, directed? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's filmed at 24 frames per second to give the illusion of movement, so it's got that going for it. But it's directed by a guy named Rob Hedden, and he did such an amazing job with this that it catapulted him into never directing a movie again. His previous experience to this was directing two episodes of the Friday the 13th series. So Canadian person did, uh, you know, syndicated television version of Friday the 13th. Perfect. This is the guy we want to hand this franchise to. Go. And boy, does he deliver uh, a movie that lasts around 90 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well done on completing your film. Now, I can't even say people have suitable ends. That's not even true either. It's mostly terrible. So, uh... After this interminable monologue, uh, we're then transported to the shores of Camp Crystal Lake, New Jersey, uh, where they're having their own local spotlight convention uh, happening. Every part of that shoreline is lit up to the max. We transition from Lady Liberty by sinking under the water and then rising up into camp, into Crystal Lake. Which is, which is, which yes. is, which is, let us point out, miles away from New York City. This, this is, I mean, I've always gotten the impression that it's supposed to be somewhere in central or southern New Jersey. So it's about mm-hmm. 100 miles away. And they're making it seem like, oh, and then right across the river, we're at Camp Crystal Lake. There's a, there's a. But it's connected by those stadium there's lights. A, there's a lot <laughs> that they've retconned for, for this movie. Yeah. Such as where, oh. where Camp Crystal Lake is located. Oh, and whether or not Jason was deformed or not as a child. Yes, that is extremely confusing. This movie uh, really banks on you never having seen a Friday the 13th movie before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, people don't care. You just, you tell them that Jason's there and you just go with it. And they're perfectly fine. We're jumping a little bit ahead, but again, which one of the things that made me so annoyed about, I think it was part six, when all of a sudden now it was a legend has it, or, you know, it's just stories. No, it actually happened like two years ago. Yeah. You can, you can look at, you can, yeah, I realized we didn't have the internet, but there were things called like, you know, microfilm machines and newspapers. You can look them up. But again, we have a monologue of Jason. I've never heard of Jason. Who's that? Well, a long time ago, flashback, flashback, flashback. But you know, it's just stories. And this Jason has no deformity 
abilities whatsoever. He's just a poor child who who, who drowned. Yeah. And so let's uh, give some detail here. In, inside the flashback that apparently this guy projects into the mind of his girlfriend. <laughs> um, we see Jason is a drowning child. And uh, then he posits this. Jason was originally resurrected by the death of his mother rather than as a living feral man-child sustained by raccoons in a single working toilet. So we're completely retconning everything that happened before this. Now, this is a theory that we've often brought up because part two doesn't also make sense in a lot of ways. I understand why they chose Jason as their next villain, but it also is kind of like, but the whole point of part one is that he drowned. And here they're finally saying, oh, no, no. Once his mom was killed, he's like, what? And rose from the dead and then started killing some people on and off here and there. But which, you've never heard of it. Which 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 doesn't make any sense because did, did he grow into a, a full adult male while, buried, while dead and buried? Well, you continue to grow hair and, and fingernails while you're dead. Why not, in Jason's case, grow into a huge Frankenstein of a man. 300 pounds of muscles, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First he came up very hairy, then he cut off the hair, hit the gym. Now we're into part three, Jason. And then somewhere in between seven and eight, he had some plastic surgery that was retroactive. So there we go. That's Jason in a nutshell, which makes zero fucking sense. But none of it makes sense. I, I certainly don't understand the chronology of this and i don't think the makers of the movie did either but i love as they're spelling it all out and i don't want to jump too far ahead but uh as these characters are just speaking through it all it's exposition as foreplay every <laughs> single thing is spelled out because in a couple minutes you know what's gonna happen yeah, <laughs> yeah nothing gets a lady more hot than talking about murders that have occurred in the area, <laughs> especially where your boat is drifting. Mm -hmm. His boat is drifting. No, no, no. I, I, I need a little. I need a little more than that. I, I need. I, I really, really am crazy. Just, just wildly turned on by practical jokes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Just, oh, oh man! My God! Just I'm, I'm fanning myself right now. Just 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 thinking about <laughs> it. Just just please just jump out at me like you're nine years old with with a mask <laughs> on and just pretend that you're murdering me in in the same style of this horrible story you have just told me. Just just mm. yeah. and not just any mask. The exact same mask. <laughs> yes, that's distressed in the exact right way. I was gonna say pre pre weathered. <laughs> I mean, he really went through a lot for for someone who is telling the story to to a girl who does not know any of the backstory. So that hockey mask means exactly zero to her. He just had this hockey mask and this collapsible knife just on his boat, just 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 in case. Well, like Court uh, Colt forty five, it works every time, Gina. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> also, the retractable knife is. I mean, that is. A Savini prop. That thing is incredibly well made. That's not like the toys that I have seen before. That thing was huge. I couldn't fit that in my hand. No. <laughs> well, that's either saying something about that knife or your hand, Nate. Oh, rattlesnakes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the uh, the young lady's name in the scene? Susie. Susie. The, the, can we talk a moment about the uh, the acting chops of the the young lady in this in this sequence? Fire away. She the expression on her face when he does this, she just looks like a stunned fish. She just cannot <laughs> comprehend what has happened, and, and maybe that's what the maybe that's what the script says. Maybe the, the script says she just stands there dumbly. She she <laughs> makes the most unenthusiastic scream and then just sort of stands there, just kind of blinking, like 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 she just woke up and doesn't know where she is, and and and, and that's a reaction that she has when she is hiding from someone who she has just seen murder her boyfriend, just yeah. just blinking, just you know like like she's trying to remember where she parked her car. Yeah, I'm supposed to be having sex right now. I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what happened? Where are we? Are we on a boat? What's an anchor? Go check that. <laughs> Take off my top. 
what's the deal with my underwear? Um, I assume that she was hired because she looks a lot like Amy Irving and that the guy who's playing Jim, her boyfriend, they both have the exact same hair. So you can't quite tell who's who when it, they're making there's out. There's a lot of hair in that scene. And, and, he, and he's very pretty, like almost like you know, distressingly pretty. And she looks like she's about a good five to ten years older than him, which is also puzzling in, in the casting area. There's two things that need to be brought up by, about uh, this scene. One is the actress playing Susie is Tiffany Paulson. And while she didn't end up having a very extensive on-screen on career after this, she did end up staying in the movie business because in 2007, she received a story-by credit for the movie version of Nancy Drew. And then she also was the screenwriter of the Disney Channel version uh, reboot of Adventures in Babysitting. So she's not just a half-new girl in Friday the 13th Part 8. She has layers. I'm glad she realized that acting was not her strong suit. No. Uh, the other thing everyone needs to know about this scene is as the camera pans down while they're making out, we discover that Jim has a serious visible boner in his 501s. <laughs> <laughs> He's method. <laughs> He's very method. And this was take 35. Those things didn't come in acid washed. I mean, these were very dark blue originally, and they become more and more faded with every single take. <laughs> I did not remember there being a large, visible boner in this movie until I saw it. Oh, really? The whole, the whole, the whole movie is a large, visible boner. Let's, you know, let, let's, <laughs> That's true. You know, let's just you know, get that out of the way. <laughs> While they are uh, making out, uh, playing tonsil hockey, not steering the fucking ship that they're on, we get the second monologue from our DJ, who, as we noted earlier, is uh, talking from WGAZ, the electricity of Manhattan. Uh, no. Uh, and then he tells us this request has gone out. All the way to Crystal Lake and the senior class of Lakeview High. They're graduating on the 13th of this month. Titular line. There you go. And we wish them the best of luck and success when they come to visit our seductive city. Our lure is a great one, young friends. Again. Our like, lure again, is a great vampires. one. Vampires. He's talking about vampires. <laughs> or lamprey fish. Yeah. But beware, the City of Lights casts many shadows indeed. Of course, referring to Paris and not Manhattan. What is the potential listenership of a radio station that can dedicate that much airtime to a single New Jersey graduating high school class? This is, this is what this is what I'm talking about. Who could give a shit <laughs> about one high school class coming to the city? Do you know? I I work down near the World Trade Center. Do you know how many high school classes I see just when I go to lunch every day? There there are dozens. Nobody announces them in advance, and nobody's excited about them coming. Well, this was life in Mayor Dinkins's uh, New York City. They needed all of the class visits they could possibly get, so they were given a complete red carpet, uh, no matter where they were coming from. Even Jersey was welcome here. Well, they, yeah, then and then Giuliani came along, and he got rid of all the porn theaters and all the vampires. Yeah, <laughs> and all the DJs, <laughs> all the. Beat poet reading, beat poetry reading DJs. Yes, we're hearing that radio broadcast, of course, from a clock radio, the best way to listen to music. Mm -hmm. um, Jim uh, runs off to to drop anchor uh, after they make out, and uh, it's in addition to having a boner. It's not the most professional of love scenes. There's a lot of tentative underwear dethroning. Mm -hmm. It's like half grabbing half undoing not sure what to do very visible boner but the other thing is that our our lead here jim at least for this scene looks like a dead ringer for robbie neville the the singer of say la vie <laughs> i thought you were gonna get the deep cuts with uh, you belong to the city <laughs> oh yeah way surpass that again gina we are huge with the millennial set they love that we speak <laughs> their language Finger on the pulse. That's right. That's of what... the youth of today. <laughs> yeah, that's when he tries to... Now, he... this is already a sure thing. She is naked in bed. You don't also have to scare her with this practical joke to end up sleeping with her. So this is just what 
I would say this is what he needs to get it up, but we know that he's already gotten it up. But I guess the only reason for this is to happen is because we have to watch as the anchor then drags this electrical cable along a very well-lit lake bottom past (laughs) where Jason Voorhees is laid on top of it with some decking on top of him. So was that cable laid because it looks very, very new. So did Con Ed move Jason over, put the cable down, and then put his body back down on top of it? Or did his body and the pier drift on top of it? And and what happened? Where's Tina's dad? I was thinking the exact same thing. What happened to Ghost Dad? <laughs> uh, abusive Ghost Dad is nowhere to be seen. And that's strange because you can see everything else. I mean, it's like you're on a Disneyland submarine ride. That's how <laughs> visible everything is underneath this water but don't worry the rumors of jason coming back uh, every few years to kill people is just a rumor then for reasons i can't quite understand this anchor triggers a gremlins are replicating underwater lightning sequence (laughs) (laughs) he becomes electrified all the power goes out at camp crystal lake so basically jason is revived the same way the shark in jaws 2 is killed (laughs) So in the same universe, Jaws 2 and Friday the 13th take place in the same wheel of the spoke. That that might be that might be a bigger revelation than than the alien and Blade Runner movies take place in the same universe. (laughs) My mind is blown. I'll never watch Jaws the same way. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, Jaws 2. You can watch Jaws the same way, but Jaws 2 is very different. So, yeah, we get we get this weird flashback about a non-mongoloid Jason drowning. Then we get this, oh my God. Can we talk about Jim's underwear? Must we? Yeah, those are the the knockoff underwear of uh, Marty McFly in the original Back to the Future. They're the (laughs) like light pastel purple, uh, except they're not Calvin Klein's. They seem to be from the late 80s Sports Illustrated swimsuit collection. I've never... (laughs) I've never seen high-waisted, like, up-along-the-hip men's underwear before. That was very new to me. They, 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 they leave very little to the imagination. In fact, I wish I'd had a little more to the imagination than, than, than <laughs> what they were showing me, because that's that left very little. Not me. Guess what I just added to my Amazon cart? <laughs> <laughs> imagination or those underwear? Uh, both. <laughs> I mean, I just, I watched these scenes and I just thank the good Lord that, that boxers became a thing again after a while. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so those two climb into bed and then we see Jason climb on board the ship. And what's notable about this is that he is very decomposed at this point. He's waterlogged. He's just thumping and squishing all over this boat. <laughs> He's like a reconstituted raisin with bones in it. And the thing that I don't understand is as he throws his hands up on the deck, they're just covered in a custardy semen of the sea. <laughs> it's well, so disgusting. Yeah, he's like, what is going on on the bottom of Crystal Lake? It's gross. I mean, besides the fact that his rotting corpse has been down there, like, it's, that's not the only problem. He's not making any effort to quietly creep around the boat. He's like, thump, squish, thump, squish, thump, squish. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it reminds me of, of in um, Student Bodies when he's trying to climb the stairs. And just mm-hmm. everything he does makes noise. Like, every single thing, he puts his hand on something, it makes noise. He takes a step, it makes this huge noise. And they're just blissfully going at it, and he's just, like, sliming all over this this boat. Uh, He is gross. Every part of him is gross, except for two places. In his on his hand, his thumb and his pinky are pink and in the, the peak of health. <laughs> they forgot to make those blue and disgusting. But be, when you're going to have a close-up of his hand, turns out you have to cover up all the parts of his hand. Whoops. Missed that one. When John Hedden saw that one in Daily, he's like, good enough for me. Yeah, you know what? Let's throw a little more light on it. It's <laughs> exactly what this needs. This boat is filled with everything. It's got Folgers instant coffee cans. It's got ships in a bottle. 
and it's got a spear gun <laughs> just sitting out. Yeah, it's just like, I don't think that that's a proper spear gun safety measure, just have it sitting on a table. No, you don't just put it where you have the binoculars. You secure that to a fucking wall. What are you doing? Also, what are you spearing in a lake? No. <laughs> I, th- well, let's call this exactly what it is. It's it's definitely a spear gun, but what they're using for that spear is a is a frog gig. It's a circular fork that's meant to capture small fish and amphibians. It's not really a spear, and as a result, it looks really weird when he uses it as a weapon. To the point where he just he can't hear because he's stomping all over the fucking place. <laughs> then he shoots it at these two who are not moving. Susie is just standing up screaming. She's got Friday the 13th disease. She doesn't know where to go. She doesn't know what to do. And he fires that, you know, frog gig into the wall off to her right side. So not everything is operating at at peak performance for old JV. And is the rubber tubing on that gun, is that standard or is that a mod? I've never seen anything like that. I've only really seen spear guns used in James Bond movies. Okay. So (laughs) my entire experience with spear guns comes via watching Thunderball a whole lot. The worst Bond. It is, but Jason is so frustrated by this he sees jim who's just cowering in this bed and he's pretty much given up on life (laughs) (laughs) he's just he doesn't make a move he doesn't go hey who are you he just kind of like waits to be killed yeah he doesn't even call after Susie, who has crawled out a window hey wait for me what are you doing she finally beats feet Hey, where are you going? What's happening? What is my name? Why can't I see past my mounds of hair on top of my head? <laughs> and uh, as a result, he gets stabbed by the spear gun, which does not appear to be all that um, pointy. But hey, it's Jason Voorhees. He stabs people with things. But of course, he doesn't stab him through anything. So we are denied to get bunked. And this was a perfect get bunked situation. It was all set up for them to get bunked. No. Denied. Second movie in a row. Like I said, it is it is blatantly contemptuous of the audience. We don't even get a we don't even get a bunking. I am so angry with this movie. It is <laughs> it, it has it's given opportunity to do well and then it, it fails. Almost as if to say, what are you going to do about it? You already bought the Blu-ray set. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the theme that goes that the movie goes with, is setting it up and withdrawing the, the reneging on any promise it might make to you. That this would be a, any promises, this would be a, a competent, enjoyable film. So Jim gets a stabinified uh, with the end of that spear gun, and then he just like, he can't believe it. It's, this is craziness. This is just wacky. And he just covers his hand in very unrealistic, not very well-mixed stage blood. And just kind of smears it on the window. Just a last painting before dying there. <laughs> it's um, it's an odd way to go. It doesn't really say much about him as a person. And it doesn't really tell us much about the situation we find ourselves in. Other than the fact that he didn't want to look at those sailboat curtains when he died. He wanted to look out onto the lake. That's nice. It's a, it's a nice view of a dilapidated shack on the, uh, on the dock. But the impetus uh, to do it is so lost. He's not trying to open the window. He's not. I don't think he can see Susie at that point. It's just, no, I'm going to look out here. Schmear a little blood. <laughs> I mean, he looks like he's already dead. And I wonder... If the order of this was he was supposed to be killed before Susie left, and they rejiggered it in editing. The other thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense is that the interior of this boat is filled with boat things. (laughs) Boats and bottles. Boats on the curtain. Boat pictures. We get it. It's a boat. You know how I can tell? I look around and I see I'm on the fucking water. (laughs) That's not a theme. That's you being unoriginal. Just can you imagine being on, flying in an airplane and just there's just pictures of airplanes all over the place? <laughs> it's it's overkill. It, I don't want to be reminded that I'm on an airplane. I know I'm gonna just die. like just like you know <laughs> model airplanes. Just you know the, the stewardesses have to like knock model airplanes out of the way while they're delivering the <laughs> cart. 
Just those whirring ones that are in gift shops that go in a circle. Yeah, you hit some turbulence, your little oxygen thing falls out. Surprised a bunch of little plastic planes just fall on you. (laughs) Yeah, I would love if that boat went down and then the boat in the bottle becomes a message to someone on shore (laughs) as to the destruction that happened at sea. Oh my god. Her, Her reaction in this scene is just so... It's like I said, she it's very strange. Like she she looks sort of puzzled. She doesn't look scared. She looks confused. Yes. And and confused seems to be her her expression for the five minutes or so she's on screen. I mean, she hides in in the one place you can hide and remain on the boat, which is not the best hiding spot. I don't know why she doesn't try to make a break for it. Other than the script told her to hide in that hold. (laughs) Once she's discovered, she's just on her back and screaming like a turtle who's been turned onto its shell and been given the voice of a 22-year-old actress. (laughs) Actress in Dick Fingers. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jason, she just yells, no, please, no, 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 no. And then Jason's very slowly... It's like he's putting a hot dog into a into a campfire. He's just so <laughs> slow and tentative about it. And I'm like, I'm like, Susie, you have like ten opportunities to just knock that thing out of the way. He's just like, uh, make it he, difficult. He's just like, well, I don't know. Do I want to do this? Maybe I'm not sure. I, mean, I but, <laughs> you, well, she's here. I could probably find something else. I, I don't know. I mean, get I mean, oh, all right, stab. <laughs> You can almost hear the interior monologue of Jason going beep, beep, beep <laughs> as he's lowering this very flimsy spear onto her chest and then kind of pushing down on it, which it's it's like giving a lot of force to a very cheap, you know, arrow from a bow and arrow set. It just I don't believe I don't believe anything about this. I just don't think you can die. By getting those little, you know, one-inch prongs pressed into your chest. And definitely not at that speed. This is the longest kill. This is when they realized they had a 70-minute movie and they needed to get it up to 90. It was like, you know what? You can push that a little slower. Just off camera, there's a stage manager telling Jason, Stretch! (laughs) Stretch! to watch you to take that down a couple notches it's too ex- <laughs> this is much too exciting we, we really want to just slow the action down as much as possible yeah it's like they told him we're gonna film this at at ramp up speed so go as slow as possible and then they forgot to speed up the footage yeah we need that to slide into her at the same rate that jim's erection is disappearing while dying <laughs> i think this is the most useless phallus death I've seen in the Friday the 13th series so far. I never really thought it would come to this, but yeah, it kind of is. It's just kind of him going, uh, like he's pushing a half hard on somewhere <laughs> that it doesn't really want it to go. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not scary. No. There's no part of this that we have talked about. And this is the first 10 minutes of this movie. I can't even believe it's actually 10 minutes. I thought it was five. No part of this is frightening in any way, shape, or form. But it, but it really does a great job of setting up what you could expect for the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> is, is stupid people dying in stupid ways. Yes. 100%. If this is a terrible example of a Friday the 13th movie. It's, it's like... They went through with a checklist, and they said, "What are we supposed to do?" It's a legend. Uh, you have a, you set up a bunch of different kills. Let's hire a special effects company. They underbid everyone else and came up with half the gags that they were supposed to. And they're just everything feels like it's on the fly. Like this wasn't the way it was supposed to go, but like let's make something happen, right, guys? Sure. Smash somebody with a guitar. Done. <laughs> Particularly just the whole, this is the second time, and I know I ranted about this, sorry, but the second time that they do this whole, well, it's just a legend. I don't know why 
I mean, is that supposed to be to to because uh, to stop the audience from asking, well, why are people still coming to this place when they know this horrible thing happened? I suppose that that's part of it. But for the last, you know, the, the in part seven, those people have come in from out of town. Part six features a lot of locals here. All these people are locals. They're. They, right, they should not be a legend to this, them. This shouldn't be. They they shouldn't be treating it like this was something that happened when they were kids. When was the when was the the, the last one was like what two years before? I mean, presumably this is in real time. I mean, well, I mean, if you talk about like online theories, they stretch it out for decades because you know the site that they're at, where Jason's body is underneath the deck. Uh, you know, if you took the movies in real time just one year previously that had blown up in a blaze of glory and then they rebuilt Camp Crystal Lake only for it to become dilapidated again. I, I feel like, did, didn't he say something about that the Jason drowned like 30 years earlier, though? I, I don't know that he gives a number I to it. I feel like he, said, have to look like that he up. said 30 years ago, but I could be wrong. But still, I mean, this was, this didn't, ha- this regardless, this still didn't happen long enough ago that people would treat it like, oh, well, you know, this is just some story parents tell their kids so they'll behave. Yeah. It's like, no, we're like at like 80 people at this point, you know yes. what I mean? I mean, and yet people, you know, don't burn this town to the ground and salt the earth. And people are just hanging out there because, you know, well, we don't really know if it happened or not. Awful, awful uh, word of mouth there. They're not uh, they're not sharing this story, nor are they sharing that he's been resurrected multiple times coming out of the lake and murdering dozens of people. See, this is... That's the thing. Once you kill the guy who killed a bunch of people and then he shows up again, rising from the grave, that's something that I would know about. If that happened locally... I would get to the bottom of that pretty quick. Absolutely. Yes, this is what you can. This is what happens when you experience the death of journalism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, 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 all they, you know, all the local newspaper can afford is to print, you know, the lottery numbers and, and the penny saver. They, they don't have time to do, you know, exposés on, you know, the mysterious creature, you who, 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 you know, the mysterious backwoods mutant who murdered some eighty people, and you can't fucking kill him. Yeah, that's that's just you know <laughs> fake news. Yeah, yeah, exactly, fake news. You know, I mean, we'll let those we'll let those big city papers uh, get a hold of this one. Yeah, we just got to <laughs> we got to report on grain futures. <laughs> What's happening in New Jersey out in Crystal Lake is a wonderful thing. You know, people say there's a you know there's a big loss of life, but you know it's kind of a miracle. Not really. Not when an undead serial killer is risen by lightning and electrical cables and telekinetic whammies. We we got to clear out that fucking body. Why are we constantly leaving that body around? That's it. The only other thing that needs to be discussed about Friday the 13th part 8 at this point. I think it needs to be brought up cuz I I was talking with Kevin Mayer of Kevin Geeks out on Twitter about this today. And that is when they promoted this movie, the uh, marketing wizards at Paramount vertically integrated their way into an appearance of Jason on the Arsenio Hall show. Oh, God. (laughs) This is a real thing (laughs) that actually happened. They got Kane Hodder dressed up in part eight version so he's completely wet and covered in slime (laughs) to come out and sit on the couch next to arsenio hall who can who just awkwardly asks him questions and he doesn't say anything for four minutes Brilliant. That scene belongs in this movie. (laughs) It is probably the best thing about this movie is that this happened. It's an anniversary that I celebrate every year. (laughs) Uh, That's Uh, absolutely incredible. That would have been the best part of this movie. (laughs) It's really, really awkward uh, and beautiful to behold. Uh, I will post that. Uh, when this airs so that people can see it themselves it is real you know does anyone else have anything to say about uh, poor Jim and Susie and Jim's uh, erect penis this would have been a perfect time for that radio DJ to come back and tag the scene give us a rule of three and just something to smile about here yes you're right and Gina's right too this movie is all set up and then it gets to a payoff and it's kind of like 
well, we don't have enough money. Uh, <laughs> let's just do something. Every single time. Yep. They, they never pay anything off. Both of you are exactly right. But yeah, I, 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 I think I agree that, that the, the DJ should have just piped up with one last little little snippet of, uh, of uh, life in the cruel city poetry. The this city it can puncture your heart in a minute <laughs> with a long awkward spear that's not really a spear. But don't worry about that. Worry about the city and its shadows. You need to mainline the night. <laughs> Get the night all up in there in your crevices <laughs> where you don't think to put it. Wear the night like a cloak and wrap it around you. It's very soft. It's machine washable too. Comes comes free scotch um, guarded. <laughs> <laughs> the night comes in multiple sizes, from a child small to extra extra large. If you're a man who's big and tall, we have sizes for you too, but only in specialty stores. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, while they say the night is machine washable, it fades over time. You should just know that. You should know that. It gets a little pilly after a while. You, you really have to keep a lint brush to to you know, keep keep uh, you know the night free of uh, of lint and, and other you know loose hairs. The occasional will be a dog hair. <laughs> Just hold on to the night in your closet because you're like, I love the night. Sometimes I want to put the night on, and then you you put it on. You're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to drop some lbs before I put the lb before I put the night back on. <laughs> Yep. And you put it back in your closet, and then it just stays there for far too long. And then when you do get it out, it kind of smells. And you're like, oh, my God. I went through all of this. I dieted for three months, and now I have to wash the night again. I'm just picturing the night to look like a, a giant choir robe. <laughs> <laughs> like like the thing the master wore in, uh, in, um, in Manos, the Hands of Fate. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of sparkly. Uh, this is a good time to let you know that Kill by Kill is brought to you by The Night. The <laughs> Night. It's available in Macy's and select Sears locations. In the Husky Junior section. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's that goth mall store? Hot Topic? Hot Topic, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't act like you've never heard of Hot Topic. I, I, I've heard of Hot Topic. I know of Hot Topic. I could not remember the name Hot Topic. Again, my version of a joke is, I think of it, I can't remember the details, and then I ask somebody, can you help me with this joke? And that's my version of humor. Oh, if only this movie would have had the same approach. It really needed somebody to fill in those jokes and and those exciting moments and those scary scenes. They were really lacking in in all of the most important things for for a horror movie, Like, like something scary. Or, you know, something exciting or characters that looked frightened and, and not like they could not find their keys. This is the first of the series where we get what are ostensibly teenage characters. I mean, we've had teenage adjacent characters, but these are all supposed to be teenagers. And again, they look more youthful, but they also look like quote oh, no, unquote that, youthful that that hair that, that the heroine is not a teenager <laughs> like when they when it's, that car the when that car pulled up i'm like she's somebody's sister <laughs> <laughs> she is wearing a, one of the most uh interesting outfits i've ever seen from a lead actress she's wearing some sort of uh quilt that you put on the back of your grandmother's couch as a vest we know she wants to be a writer. She's just, she's living in that classic stereotype of what a librarian dresses like. <laughs> Only she also has massively curly, giant locks of hair. Yeah. She's not pulling that back in a bun. No. Uh, not until later in the movie when they want to make her look worse than when she starts the movie. I, I don't, don't pull her hair back into a bun. It's just very weird. The whole movie tries to make attractive people look unattractive. And unattractive people, it tries to convince you that they're super hot. Yes, yeah. that's that's true. They, they, the casting in this was, again, puzzling. That that's that's a word I think I'm going to keep falling back on for this movie is puzzling. But puzzling in the in the sense that there you a puzzle you put on a table that um, you've lost several pieces to, so you can never actually complete. And it is 
very frustrating at the end to have gone through all that effort and find that you can't even fucking complete the picture. And then after a while, you just like flip the table over and say, oh, fuck this. (laughs) This is me on the daily. Uh, So, yeah, that is the opening of Friday the 13th, part eight. And so that means it is time once again for everyone's least understood and known about quiz show. Uh, Choose your own death venture. And this is where... We decide amongst ourselves if we were forced to die in one of the ways featured in this particular episode, what would it be and why? So our options are for this particular edition, would you rather be killed with the tip of the actual spear gun or slowly pressed by a semi-sharp frog gig in the chest to death? Uh, and Nate, as our guest, I look to you first. I've got to go out the way Jim did with the whole spear gun. And it's it's not for any other reason than I just wouldn't want to see something coming for three and a half hours before it finally <laughs> got to me. And then who knows, once I get stabbed with the spear gun, maybe I'd make a different choice of what I'd paint in my own blood on that window. <laughs> That's true. Now you're going to have to wear that underwear. You know what? I'll take this one for the team. Okay. That's fine. Listen, it's just part and parcel, and I want to make you aware of the consequences of your decision. That's what I signed up for. That's what you signed up for. Okay, Gina, what say you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, neither of them were were very, very good murderers, but uh, yeah, I, I too am going to have to go with Jim because it's just... It's faster, and and then I, I I find the idea of my body being found in a room surrounded by ships and bottles to be to be amusing. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly, certainly better than you know being stuffed in some little you know little cargo hold on, on a boat. So yeah, it would have to be Jim. Yeah, I, I want if I'm going to spend my life in eternal rest somewhere, I don't want to be in a cargo hold. I want to be on that very comfy and well themed. Aqua foam bed yeah. uh, is a very sea foamy green, uh, surrounded by curtains of of sails sailboats. Even though I'm on a, a motorized boat, uh, that's the way I want to go too. Um, I don't want to die of tiny pinpricks in a cargo hold. That is a terrible death, and I reject it. And I reject this movie. And I only just started watching it. <laughs> I've only watched 11 minutes of it, and I can already tell this is going to be a wild one, people. You want to buckle up, because uh, this this is not good. This one might be, we might be a little feistier about this than we were about part five. Well, part five, it's, it's, uh, it wears its terribleness on its sleeve. It's almost daring everyone to go, you know, what you, everything that you knew and loved about this franchise were flushing down a toilet that you have to sit on because you ate enchiladas. <laughs> this one has come after some a successful and semi-successful edition on top of everything else, and everyone has just given up and then filmed that giving up <laughs> and edited it, edited it together. It's, uh, it's unimpressive in almost every single way, and it just doesn't fucking make sense. Yeah. You can't drive a boat from a lake to new york city because lakes by their very definition are enclosed bodies of water oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna get to that i think that we're gonna cover that several times and the boat's named lazarus because we can't let anything fucking just be the name of a boat (laughs) everything's got to be super fucking obvious yep I'm i'm surprised that everything on the lazarus isn't also very boat themed to remind everyone this is a boat Oh my god, this is gonna be so bad, Gina. <laughs> and yet it's gonna be so good. This, yeah. this is gonna this is yeah. gonna this is Let's gonna be a bonding experience. I, I feel I feel I feel we're going to grow closer. I feel our audience is gonna grow closer to us. <laughs> They're gonna have to. This is this is gonna be the Rubicon that everyone crosses. <laughs> if you make it through this, people, you're with us on the long haul. Yeah, this is the closest civilians come to war. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's loud, it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't add up to any progress for anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
Oh, sweet Jesus. So, Nate, uh, we've come to that time where you get to tell people where, where people can find out uh, more about you and, and the things that you do. Great. So uh, while I'm working on a bunch of podcasts right now, the one I want to pitch is obviously uh, My Neighbors Are Dead. Um, My Neighbors Are Dead, it's, uh, it is a comedic horror show where we take... Um, improv comedians stand-ups and hoping to get more and more people horror people on all of the time playing the tertiary or side characters from your favorite horror films so for example uh we had another patient of dr loomis's in our first episode someone that's wondering what is it going to take to get this guy's attention do i have to kill someone (laughs) and uh we talked to her at length just trying to get inside that world and build on the world of halloween so mm-hmm. uh, with the podcast, we like to keep them relatively short, and you can get them wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or even go to our website at MyNeighborsAreDead.com. Yeah, please, people. This is I look forward to this every week, and, and now with, with Halloween here, you guys are doing twice a week for October, yep. and there's been some great episodes. Uh, the one I really liked recently was the Candyman episode. It was amazingly funny. Is fantastic. Well, thank you so much for listening. We love it. That episode in particular, Dwayne Perkins is absolutely brilliant. Has written some of my favorite comedic scenes to come out of Chicago the last couple of years. So, yeah, we're really lucky to get the people on the show that we do. It's a it's a great lineup. Funny comedians. You're not going to have heard of all of them, but by the end of it, you're going to be a fan of them because it's great stuff. Hey, Gina, where can people find uh, more about you on the internet? I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. All right, do it today. Hey, people, you want to tell us about your life and what you think about Friday the 13th Part 8? Because uh, we aren't full of opinions. We want to hear yours, too. Uh, reach out to us a couple different ways to do it. Obviously, the easiest is on Twitter, at KillByKillPod. You have something longer than 140, or maybe you're one of those lucky souls that got 280 uh, characters. Well, you can write an email, uh, killbykillpod at gmail.com. Of course, rate and review us, please, on iTunes. Uh, just the other day, we reached 69 five-stars reviews. Nice! Mm-hmm. And so, while it aggrieves me to get more, because we've reached that magical number, I'm hungry. I want it. I want it bad. Uh, this is this episode will come out on Friday the 13th. And while a great many uh, other podcasts will be stealing our thunder and talking about Friday the 13th and, and the glory should be all ours. Um, if you rate and review us on iTunes and expose us to more people, you can tell us what your favorite uh, kill is in the Friday the 13th series. And we'll talk about it here on the air. That's a promise to you. Kill by kill listener. And don't worry, folks. The body count continues. We will be back. We're going to count down every kill in this movie. Damn it. We made a commitment and we're going to follow through. Why don't you join us in our journey to madness? For myself and for Nate and for Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.